Welcome to CritterCast episode 60. I am your co-host Karina. I'm your co-host Cassie. And well, this is our wacky, weird, wonderful podcast all about critters big and small, invisible to the naked eye, impossible to miss with the naked eye, all over the world. Traditionally adorable, non-traditionally adorable. We think they're all cute in some way. Because that's for just- squirrels. Stop it. You won't even <laughs> let me talk about them. That's not what we're talking about today. Um, that's just who we are here at CritterCast. We are not experts um, on most of what we talk about, but we do love to learn. And we are really darn good at research. We do our, well, some of us do our best and some of us made a career out of it. So (laughs) we'll let you guess who's who. (laughs) Today on CritterCast, we are actually not talking about one specific critter, but a whole class of critters called tur- Turbolaria. I looked I'm up sorry, how to called say what? I looked up how to say it so many times, okay? Turbolaria is how I'm going with it. Turbolaria. Mm-hmm. What Here. the heck are turbularia? <laughs> We're about to find out. Yay. But first, enjoy our theme song. It's Cassie and Karina and we're at it again. Sharing cool facts about our animal friends. We make stupid jokes and we laugh a lot, but we also like to learn so give us a shot. We'll talk about snails and their tweezer teeth, or gush about our love of manatees. We'll tell you why owls are so scary to us, and there's tons more critters that we'll discuss. We promise to make sure you'll have a blast, because you're listening to CritterCast. Woohoo! We did it! Um, I, I don't know why that's like my go-to thing to say at the end of every time we play it, but it is. Just, we did it, because we did, and I... Love our theme song. And one day I'll write an updated version, but for now, it makes me happy. It's just so good. Uh, I love it. And we need something to love right now, too, because I don't know if y'all know. Y'all know. Yeah. It's been a week, and we are both located in the Northwest. Well, on the Pacific. Yes. West. um, And smack dab close to where either fires or smoke from fires are accumulating. Yes. And y'all, it is a mess. We are exhausted. We have had trouble breathing, but we have not been evacuated. Thank goodness. Yeah. And neither of us is is particularly close to areas where we're worried about being evacuated. Nonetheless. Oh, were you guys? Yeah, Yeah. There was a fire about 20 miles away from us that was moving this direction but mm-hmm. it's not moving this direction it's well, going a different way now we're fine there you go it's all it's all cool either way this is just you know the whole world is about what seven eight months into covid's peak yeah. and some of you outside of the united states your country's perhaps handled it a bit better and you're feeling it less here in the united states uh, we're still very much in the thick of it we are all at a point where we are just exhausted but You do what you can to make little bright spots. And for us, one of those bright spots is CritterCast. That's right. So we are, it is taking us some adjustment time to get back into the swing of like on the dot bi-weekly episodes, but we are not a full week late. We will get this episode out. We're we're getting back there, guys. We're running towards it. So this- As everyone should right now, we are prioritizing- compassion and self-care so right sometimes right. we just need to take a breather and we'll take those because and sometimes you okay. just like physically do not have the time because yep. we are both still working and there's stuff to do which yep. I'm very grateful for my job but 
there's yes. stuff to do still. Yeah. And we so, just want to take a minute and say that we hope everyone of our listeners is in a safe place, in a place with breathable air, that you are taking care of yourselves and being compassionate towards those around you too. Absolutely. Yes, I hear you. Thank you. <laughs> I got a little tiny meows. Um, so this episode, episode 60, you know, it's a, it's a mark. 60, 60 episodes of our show is not a small number. Okay. Um, but we really didn't know, you know, we did, we had some fun with box turtles last episode and we just didn't know a hundred percent where to go next. So we went out to Twitter and asked our lovely Twitter followers, what kind of animals they would want to hear we got a couple of good suggestions but professor pagan with the bald scientist podcast which is another really cool podcast that you should definitely check out if you love sciencey podcasts oh, yes. um suggested <laughs> suggested planarians which is a phylum um or not a phylum i believe it's an order uh taxonomy is not my specialty you guys know this <laughs> but uh then the nagging naturalist podcast chimed in and asked if we could expand it to all turbul turbularia um which is what we decided to do so thank you guys so much for the suggestions for giving us love on twitter and um and just being a fun podcasting buddy out there in the world we love our podcasting community it's just so supportive and the best and so fun to interact with the best way so i'll be totally honest with you guys and, and with cassie with everyone i think oh, cassie no. already knows it though oh no when they made this suggestion I fully had to Google it because I did not know what they were talking about. <laughs> and uh, I think maybe some of you out there probably feel the same. We said this episode is going to be about turbularia and you probably went, excuse me, is that a disease? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, Cassie, when, when I tell you that, that that's what this yeah. episode is going to be about, what are, what are your first thoughts? So I don't have a super informed thought about this. I, I think of some sort of wormy things and things that are a little bit harder to differentiate. Are they more animal or more plant-like? Those okay. are my thoughts. Yes. Yes. And those are all valid. Well, especially if you like, like me really have no idea. It sounds like you had a little bit better idea of what, what these are. Did I? Okay. Yes. <laughs> than I did. So they are critters. Um, when you, when you look at pictures of them, if you see just plain pictures, I can see that they do appear a little plant-like, especially because a lot of like coral life and coral plant life is very elaborate and colorful. And they, a lot of times are found in the water, so they can. But if you see video of them moving at all, it would be very clear that it isn't a live animal, mm -hmm. but what kind of animal yes. would not be very clear just from looking at it? Because nice. it is less of your traditional looking animal. But Perfect. Here we you know, so, we love those alt animals. We do. We do. We really do. We stand for them. Um, these critters are less complex than a lot of the animals that we've talked about, but that doesn't make them any less fascinating. They Heck also no. have a very important place in this world. Um, and they actually are a little bit extra fascinating, which we'll kind of get into. Well, sometimes the, the less complex life forms that, that we think are less complex end up being the coolest critters. Um, Slugs, yeah. for example. Absolutely. Yes. Love them. So this is a class, like I said, that's part of the phylum, and I'm going to mess this up, platahelminthes. That's totally wrong. Pla platelminths? 
maybe something like that um which is a a grouping of taxonomy is weird guys but basically terbelia are a large group of species that include flatworms that are not exclusively parasitic so there are a couple Ah. of species of flatworms in this um in this class that are parasitic but for the most part most species are can live on their own they don't need a host species and that's why they were put off in their own little group now why there are some in the group that are parasitic and why they're still grouped with this group is why we hate taxonomy (laughs) Um, but we're not going to talk about those ones we're going to mostly talk about the ones that are living on their own and are not parasitic now this class does cover over 3,000 species. Some literature dating back to the early 1900s even claims that there's potentially like 4,500 species. Gosh. And it's a lot. There's a lot. So we are not going to be talking in great detail about any one specific species, but just kind of what all of the species have in common. Cool. Uh, So if you are a scientist whose focused research is on a specific species, please don't come for us. We didn't do that research today. But talk to us. Yes, ta- inform us, but don't come at us, you know? Right. Come to us. Come for uh, us, but don't come for us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys are found all over the world. They're not, not in every single habitat, but spread throughout the globe in all kinds of marine and freshwater environments. So both salt and freshwater, and even some terrestrial habitats that are very, very damp and very moist still. Cool. They range from anywhere between one millimeter to 500 millimeters long. And for us Americans, that is less than half an inch to up to 24 inches. So there's, it's quite a diverse range. For the oh. most part, most of them are fairly small, maybe a couple inches long. I didn't realize um, I got that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's less common, um, okay. but because most of the ones I was seeing are pretty small. Like to see them in detail, you need a microscope, so they're yeah. pretty small. Yeah. Um, larger species are known for having a flat sort of ribbon-like appearance, and they um, they have a lot of surface area. So those are the ones you think of when you think of those really colorful marine flatworms that have like the flapping curls along the sides, and that's how they move. Um, that Those are the larger species. And smaller species tend to be a little less ribbon-like, but they're still going to be long, flat animals. And they need all that surface area in order to metabolize, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Most species are very, very colorful, which is fun. You get a lot of like a lot of varying colors. You have blues and greens and blacks and browns and whites and pinks. Like if you just Google flatworm or turbellia or turbellaria, you're going to get a lot of you might get some gross pictures, not going to lie, because there are other animals that are defined as flatworms that are less cute. Um, but you are going to get a lot of really pretty colors too, which is awesome. Food-wise, just the basics, they are carnivorous. So they feed on like tiny invertebrates in their surroundings. And they can also nom on that dead animal matter, whatever is kind of around that is, you know, protein-based. So they're, they're scavengers, not hunters. They're not really complex enough to have any hunting techniques but that's okay because there's lots of bottom feeding things that we need them to clean things up and to keep things going what makes them a bit strange that's my next subtitle because if you've been listening to critter cast for a while you know that karina likes to subtitle her notes (laughs) not necessarily in any particular 
order, but just for funsies. So what makes them a little bit strange? Firstly, all species are bilaterians. Does that mean they have two things that function as feet? No, it means that as embryos, they are perfectly symmetrical and most of them grow into adulthood to remain perfectly symmetrical. Interesting. You know, it's, I, it, a lot of people talk about like how human beauty, like scientifically we're attracted to symmetry and like as much symmetry as we can get, but we, Washington, right. Inherently we are not symmetrical. Right. Um, but turbularia are so aren't they pretty (laughs) well well that's probably part of why we think they're beautiful that's it that's got to be it right there yeah right there they basically are denzel washington (laughs) they have no internal body cavity so instead they are comprised of layers like a laminated pastry with like maybe some stuff in between the layers but really it's just like layer on layer on layer which is very hard for me to wrap my head around. Yeah. But that's what it is. There's no like bag of fluids floating around on the inside. That's what makes them literally so flat. Huh. I I had written they are comprised of layers like a delicious laminated pastry, but I cut out the word delicious (laughs) because it just didn't seem right. (laughs) So... Of those, of those layers, there are four different layers. The first is the epidermis, and that's their outermost layer that's in direct contact with the environment. It's like their skin layer offers them protection. Sometimes it is ciliated, so it, sometimes it has those little microvilli to help them move along the, the water floor. Um, cool. Sometimes it doesn't, just kind of depends. It's very thin and must stay hydrated. And for all you Doctor Who fans out there, I absolutely did write Moisturize Me (laughs) in capital letters. Um, So that's why even those that are found living in terrestrial habitats, it needs to be a very moist, high humidity climate because otherwise they would dry out and would not survive, unfortunately. So definitely very important for them. The next layer, the the next inside layer, because you can think of it not like a top to bottom, but like an around layer. Mm -hmm. So the next internal one. Yeah, exactly. Um, The next one is their muscular layer. And they have two, a lot of species have two different types of muscles. One that um, is in charge of their shape and controls their movement and allows them to move along kind of like inchworms where they like contract and let go and contract and let go. Mm -hmm. And then they also have some diagonal muscles that they think just offer support, but don't really have any function in movement or anything Mm -hmm. crazy like that. Um, the next layer is their parenchyma or parenchyma, depending oh. on how you say these fun, fancy words, okay. which is a layer of, this is a direct quote from one of my main sources, poorly organized cells. Whoa. So they're just That's there. Some shade there. For right. Course. But wow. it is a very important layer because most of the cells in that layer are made up of stem cells, which okay. we will talk about a little bit more why it's so cool that they have so many stem cells. Wait, all over. so is that layer basically like their spinal cord? No, they don't have a spinal cord or anything ah. like, like it. Um, <laughs> and then their most inner layer is their gatrodermis, which is their cells that are make up their digestive tract and their gland cells that secrete their enzymes. Um, oh. And that's the layer that focuses on absorbing nutrients and, and all that good stuff. So you'll know, what, are, what are some things you'll notice are lacking in this fun layered system? 
like so much. <laughs> like I don't understand how these are functioning animals. Right. But, well, part of that is our is our you know human understanding of yes. animals being supremely lacking. Yes. Um, but it's also because they don't have these circulatory or respiratory systems. Right. So that's weird to think of. Like yeah. they don't have gills, they don't have lungs. All gas exchange is done literally through diffusion, just through their skin. Wow. Like more like plants, which is a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> but cool still. So is that part of why they have to be in the water or in a very damp environment? Yeah, that is part of it. Is that like being out in dry air means that the gas exchange is harder. It's really yeah. hard to use through that. Um, and it's also because they're just so thin that without proper moisture, they mm. literally would just dry out. Like, okay, they're just too, you just moisturize them. You got yes. it. Yes. Like, <laughs> um, they, so without, you know, without, all of the things that we think of as being necessary to make a functioning animal, they eat in a slightly different way. They do still have their digestive system. It's very rudimentary. It's not like what we think of, but they do have a mouth-like hole that okay, leads to okay. their pharyngeal cavity. And I know I'm right. saying that word right, so look at me. The hole is actually close to the tail end of the animal because they do kind of have a head and a tail. Interesting. Um, they're different ends. It's not just like one symmetrical that way. It's bilaterally symmetrical. Mm -hmm. um, so they have that hole there. Food, is, food matter is physically taken in through the hole and right in there, like before it's even fully absorbed, is broken down by the enzymes that their glands are secreting, a lot like our saliva. They start the process right there. And then it's engulfed in cells in their digestive cavities and broken down even further. And that, you know, it just, that's how food breakdown works. It just doesn't go through like a nice- Like a tunnel. Track. From Oregon, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and then undigested food material or waste, uh, because they only have the one hole, just kind of gets regurgitated and released through the same hole, which you know, <laughs> it's not the cutest thing ever. But they're not the only critters that function like that. There so are what, other animals. What you're saying is that as these flatworms are eating, they are also kind of constantly vomiting. It's not constant. They're oh, not because okay. they're okay. not really constantly eating. Oh, okay. like yes, they eat, they poop, they eat, they poop all through. Hey, the kids, school. do a do a school report on flatworms for your Zoom classes this year. Yeah, because yeah. then you get to talk about that Pooping process. Out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't want that? <laughs> They do have a brain. Um, most oh, animals, you know, they gotta have it. It's in their head. It's a very simple brain, and okay. they do have a simple nervous system that's made up of nerve cords and uh, and a like kind of under the skin layer of nerves. So a, okay. a little network of nerves. Now, some species are even more primitive, and they have a diffused nervous system that lacks a brain. So. But a lot of the species do have a central nervous system. And they're still, oh, because they're part of, this is an order, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you have some division then between the brain, locally brained ones and the non-locally brained ones. Yes. The ones with a <laughs> diffused nervous system versus a central nervous system. I love it. So fun. They also so do have fun. some sensory organs because they are animals moving through space and need a way to know kind of where they're going and where the food is. That's very important. Right. 
Right. So some species have oracles, which are protrusions near the head, like mm-hmm. snails for sensing food. Some of them have tentacles. Some of them have little pits with, um, with microvilli in them for sensing food. You like my, my, yeah, (laughs) I really like the, I think the ones with little pits of microvilli are adorable. Right. They also have photoreceptors that allow them to detect the presence of light and they look like eye spots right in the head area, but they are not eyeballs. So Um, it's just a grouping of cells with different pigments that allow them to to sense light. They can't like see pictures or form images in their Mm -hmm. tiny little primitive brains, which is good because some of them don't even have those primitive brains. So they couldn't form images anyway. Anyway. Yeah. There you go. One last little basic thing that is still kind of weird, but isn't in the super weird category is that they are hermaphrodites. So they have both male and female reproductive systems on every individual. Um, They are capable of reproducing both sexually and asexually. And they do both. Why not? Why not? They're like, you got to do what you got to do. If there isn't another one around or my little sensory organs didn't find them, then I got to reproduce. Just be like, okay, I guess I will just raise it on my own and create it on my own. Oof, there you go. (laughs) Based on what you know so far of Turbolaria, why do you think scientists might be fascinated about them? Um, Because what, 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 what (laughs) happened here? What happened? (laughs) It's because... Uh Uh-huh. They can fully regenerate. Cue Doctor Who theme. Mm, of course they can. Like completely and honestly. So, so are they immortal? <laughs> no, because things do happen. You know, their life cycle does run out. Um, they do, you know, grow old or their cells, their re- cell division process does slow down eventually. Okay. okay. And also okay. they could dry out. You never know. You don't right, know. Right, right. But, um, but... We, so we've talked about animals before, <laughs> geckos, that can regenerate, you know, specific body parts in some ways. Yeah. But these little weirdos can fully regenerate all lost body parts, even when you cut them into multiple segments. So hold, hold up here, because I'm trying to wrap my brain around this idea. And You're a very though- complex, big, functioning brain. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even though I have one of those, I'm still processing this idea. So Struggling. If you, if you cut, I see why scientists want to yes. learn about these because it's so cool. Yes. So if you cut, well, A, don't because unnecessary animal cruelty. Leave eh, because their nervous system functions differently, it, there's argument that they don't feel it the same way we would feel it. I'm going to leave that to the scientists. <laughs> and I'm just not going to cut tubularia. Yeah. Right. Pieces. Maybe just don't. I just won't. Um, but I am thinking if when somebody else does cut them into pieces, does each piece regenerate every other piece? Yes. So is that how they do the asexual reproduction then? So they can spontaneously asexually reproduce on their own through a okay. process called transverse fission, which is how most animals asexually right. reproduce. Um, but this is another way that they could. Yes. So Karina, you are so smart. Oh my <laughs> God. That is so cool. <laughs> like straight up, 
I watched a video on it. It was a very awesome video because it finally took things more into like less scientific terms for me because I was reading a lot of papers with a lot of words that I didn't understand. (laughs) It's been too long. Um, But uh, it was a very entertaining video. They literally did cut one up into four pieces Uh and each piece in about 12 weeks turned into a fully formed, fully functioning turbo area. So then in that case, are they the same turbularia or do they develop differently as each one develops? So they're not clones. They're not like identical clones with matching cells. Yeah. But there is not a lot of difference between individuals of the species. So you would not be able to tell the difference between them. So interesting. Yeah. Can you, can we um, link that video on our Oh yeah, so people absolutely. Can watch it because I want yeah. to watch it. Yes. Um, now I will say the, the process of, you know, different segments reproduce, like being able to regenerate missing parts is pretty common in other species that can reproduce asexually. But what makes turbolaria so different is that it always results in an organism that is fully functioning and normal organism. And it doesn't matter where you cut that it will still be able to regenerate completely. Even if you cut like the tail end, like a tiny will, piece off. the tail end will grow the rest of the body and the head with the photoreceptors. Like that's it amazing. It can grow a new head and brain. How, how do just the cells in the tail know how to grow a new brain? This is exactly why my scientists toe, are fascinated. My toe would not know how to grow my brain. No, it would not. Unless you were the doctor and then your hand would be able to grow a whole person. That's true. But it would. It yes. wouldn't be a fully functioning person. And it would, it would create a, a meta crisis. I'm Lord person. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but literally. So this is why scientists are so fascinated. And they firmly believe that it's rooted in those stem cells that make up so much of and that one layer. because they're just all over. Because they're spread all over the body. So like in right. humans, we find stem cells in very particular areas of our body or mm-hmm. um, in like early development, and then they change into other types of cells. But turbolaria across most species have stem cells that stay stem cells right. for their whole lives. They don't ever adapt into another cell type. So most of our listeners probably have heard about stem cells before. But mm-hmm. if we have a listener who's like, okay, I've heard of those before, but I'm not quite sure what they right. are. Like, why are they so cool? Why does everyone care yeah. about stem cells? Yeah. Yeah. Stem cells are like these cool blank template cells that can change and adapt even just the one cell. It doesn't have to reproduce to adapt into another cell type that is needed. Right. So they're very versatile and they are the key to most species that have regenerative qualities. Um, They're the key to a lot of people, you know, wanting to study amputees. And uh, we've talked about, I think we've talked about this on other episodes as well, but stem cells are, and to be honest, I don't have a solid grasp of all, I mean, people make literal careers on studying stem cells. Yes. Stem cell research is a massive field, rightfully so. And we Um, still don't know everything about them because this is an amazing Amazing function. If mitochondria are like the powerhouse of the cell, (laughs) stem cells are like the mysterious superhero of all (laughs) cells. Yes. There you go. Very strange little chameleon cells. The blank canvas that not only spontaneously can paint itself, but also can become a couch. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just be whatever it wants to be. Yeah. A little like, artist. I don't want to be a canvas anymore. I will just be yeah. a butterfly. Just crazy. The stem crazy. cells are strange and turbularia, all the species of turbularia are fascinating. So what it. are some of the things that scientists hope that we can learn from studying turbularia? I mean, really, it's 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 mostly focused in those regenerative qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, there is not a, I couldn't find a ton of information on like what people are specifically studying right now, mm-hmm. um, but it's it really is just all about those stem cells. Plus, we've talked about before why some species are so you know so much kept in labs and studied because they're very easy to keep alive, they're easy to replicate, and these right. guys are they're very easy. Put them in some water feed them some protein, they're right. good to go. And well, you and can the, have as many as you want. <laughs> and the fact that they're so widespread across the globe probably yeah. makes it a little bit easier for us. To yeah. And they're too. very easy to find. They're all over yeah. the place. Like, yeah. I mean, we, I wouldn't necessarily go hunting for one, but like, they're very easy to find. Right. Because they're so, all over. We talked about axolotls a while ago and axolotls mm-hmm. have some really cool regenerative um, capabilities as well. But axolotls originate from a tiny one area. Um, like one body of water. Yeah. In Mexico. That, right. And we don't want to deplete that natural habitat or that right. population. And they don't reproduce so, quite as easily. No. They cannot asexually reproduce. No. So that's why being able to study this in something that's so widespread is yeah. really a, an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Very adorable. So uh, they also they also are capable of sexual reproduction, which How does that is, happen? <laughs> so it's honestly just as odd as asexual reproduction. Okay. So they both, you know, they're hermaphrodites. So they both have both their their female internal reproductive system, which is multiple pairs of ovaries and oviducts that open up into the a genital chamber for, you know, being implanted. Uh-huh. Um and then they both also have a protruding or extendable phallum, aka penis, that okay. is usually located on their underside in like the middle of the body. And when they mate, it is mutual copulation. Okay. So they literally impregnate each other. All right. Now there was there was discussion earlier on about a decade back that, and there's a, like a National Geographic video that. I couldn't really substantiate with current research mm. that they would like fight over who got to mm. be the male because which the, <laughs> the theory in the video was made sense to me in that it takes more energy to fertilize and care for the eggs and then spit them out um, than it does to just impregnate and move on with your life. So it made sense, sure. but more recent research um, indicates that it's almost always mutual copulation and that they don't really like take on one specific role. I mean, if we're talking about the perpetuation of the species, if everything is able yeah, to reproduce. Then everything should be reproducing. Right, exactly. That sounds like one of those instances in which science is um, the questions that we ask when doing scientific research is biased because those questions are asked by humans who decide what questions to ask. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Guys. So fun. Um, but anyway, once fertilization has occurred, which is much the same as it does in most sexual reproduction, insert male part into female part, eject male 
uh, male parts into female area and fertilization occurs. Um, eggs are then ejected in a little cocoon to protect mm -hmm. them. And then they are just kind of released to develop and hatch on their own. Mm -hmm. um, it, depending on so what they just float. Yeah. And water. like they, they kind of land down onto the bottom and okay. stay there, but they're, they're protected in a cocoon. So they don't like nest them or anything crazy okay. like that. Um, they, if they're laid in the summer, it'll be like a thinner cocoon and they'll, they'll hatch out pretty quickly. If they're laid in the winter, it'll be nice and thick so that they can survive winter temperatures and hatch, um, in warmer water because that's just sure. how it goes. And they generally only produce a few eggs at a time. So it can, they can produce more through sexual reproduction than asexual reproduction, but not like a significant amount more. Okay. Sure. And I couldn't find any information on whether this happened like seasonally or anything like that. We may not. I think know. it just can happen whenever. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, because they're just those kind of critters. Yeah. They don't, they don't seem like they stick to a very organized timeline. No, no, no. Yeah. So to wrap things up with Turbolaria, I just wrote down some of my random thoughts. I wrote that they are super freaks in the best way. That they are oddly adorable with their little photoreceptors that make like kind of a tiny little face. They really are. I had to Google this when you were talking about what they, how they were just formed. Yeah. And I was expecting something different than what I found. Yeah. They're really pretty. And there's yeah. a huge variety of, of what they look like. Some of them yeah. almost look like beta fish. Some of them look like yeah. flowers. Some of them like are really pretty in that they look like they belong on the coral reef. And yeah. some of them are like cute little worms with tiny faces. It's like a little more axolotl vibe, you know? Very cool. I'm yeah. They're very adorable. into it. I, I, they are quite varied. Most of them when they hatch are just like small adult forms. Some of them do have a larval stage, but for the most part, most of them are just like fully tiny, formed, tiny little worms. Uh, I also wrote, ooh, pretty colors. And is this what people think of when I tell them I'm asexual? Because <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> do people get this confused? Do they think I'm this strange? I'm not. It's different. But You do have the pretty colors, though. Oh, thank so. you. Thank you. <laughs> so that's, that's the information we're going to put out today. Super quick uh, disclaimer. I recognize that we exclusively said turbolaria and we never said turbolarium mm, right we we know yeah. we, we did that turbolarium being singular turbolarium but we're, being we're talking many. in general about yeah. i just i recognize that we said it like multiple times and in the back of my head i was like i'm gonna just plug i'm just gonna say yeah. we know we know yes yes oh so kids, when you're doing that report on Zoom for your teacher, impress that teacher by talking about that one turbulent. The singular, <laughs> exactly. Right, right. We just didn't, we didn't care that much today. We're just too, our minds were too blown. We're too excited. Live like a turbularium. <laughs> whatever. Do whatever you want. Just be you. Um, it, on that lovely note of just being you and embracing your truest personality. Cassie, yes. I believe you have a very special pet to spotlight this week. I do. I'm, I'm honestly kind of in love with this pet. I follow this shelter on basically all social media because they do an excellent job of promoting animals and talking about different sorts of information about how to help your animals live their best life. And they have really awesome animals um, available for adoption. And right now they're in a lot of need. So we are talking about the Willamette 
Humane Society, which is located in Oregon, in Salem, Oregon, which right now, of course, has been really near to several huge fires. A lot of people have been evacuated. A lot of people have lost their homes. And animals, of course, are hugely impacted when this happens. So there's been um, a huge push on the shelter to be able to provide support for the animals that have gotten lost or separated from their owners to take in animals and help get them the the medical treatment or the care that they need. So we just wanted to give a little shout out to Willamette Humane Society doing the good work, taking care of those animals, finding animals home, even in the midst of an ongoing global pandemic and in fire season. Way, way to go, y'all. Y'all are amazing. Absolutely. And this particular animal is so freaking cute. I've been watching this animal for a while because the whole personality thing really gets me. And also this little face. <laughs> so I'm talking about Melvin, who is a cat. He is about two years old, maybe two years old in two months. He's a male. He's about 13 pounds. So he's a nice big boy. And he's all over white, except for this cute little patch right on his forehead of tabby colors. He has beautiful, beautiful jade green eyes, and the picture is just stunning. You look at this picture, and you can feel like you know this cat. He's lovely. I love him. But what makes him really unique is his personality. So I love slightly mischievous animals. Karina knows this about me. Y'all have heard this about me. I like the animals that have opinions and really clear, strong personalities, and that want to kind of interact with you on their own terms and are happy to communicate those terms to you. And Melvin is just like that. So he is really, really sweet, but he has really strong opinions and he wants to show you exactly how to love and interact with him. So once he gets to know you, he's going to be really snuggly. He's kind of a lap cat sometimes that he wants to cuddle on you and rub against you. But like a lot of cats, he can get overwhelmed or overstimulated, and he hasn't yet learned to not use his paws <laughs> when he gets overstimulated. And that's, to be fair, I feel like that's not a thing that they need to learn. We right? just need to learn to respect their boundaries. Totally. Honest. Exactly. But I'm a cat person, so... Yep. Take what I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> well, this is honestly something that most cats do, but mm-hmm. some cats are a little bit more assertive about standing up for themselves and their boundaries. They also just have maybe stricter boundaries. <laughs> yep, totally. Yep. So you just kind of have to pay attention to him and watch his body language and get to know his boundaries, and then you're going to have a wonderful lifelong friend. So perfect. So perfect. So yeah. go check him out. We'll post him on our social media. We'll share links to Willamette Humane Society. If you want to help the animals that are in need right now, all up and down the Pacific coast, please reach out to your local humane society and ask what they need. If you're in the area, if you're not in the area, you can contact the Willamette Humane Society and make donations through their website or their social media, or we can post um, some lists and give you more ideas too of places that are in need. 
Um, yeah, I, I you know I know everyone hates to hear it, but monetary donations go a long way with yep. animal shelters and humane societies. Um, they can sometimes be flooded with physical donations, um, but monetary donations are more liquid and allow them to put the money where it's needed. If that's into evacuation efforts, if that's yep. into extra food, if it's into medical care for burn victims, yep. um, you just never know. You know, you don't know where it's going to be helped. Also, think about opening your home to a foster animal yeah. or an adoptive animal. Um, tis the season, guys. That's that's what we're here for. Melvin sounds wonderful. If you're not nearby, but you are looking for a new pet, don't forget to look at your local animal shelters. Um, they, they are chock full of them. They just are, always. Oh, thank you so much for sharing sharing our friend Melvin there who is precious yeah. and adorable and uh and thank you to all of you lovely listeners for tuning in and listening to this strange but true episode all about turbul turbularia I keep wanting to say turbularia but it's turbellaria turbell they're totally tubularia turbular they're turbular they're totally turbular <laughs> yeah yeah um so fun uh, it's nice to get back into the swing of CritterCast. It really yeah. is. And if you are just joining us here at CritterCast and you want to know where you can find more, how you can learn more about us, head on over to our website, www.crittercastpodcast.com, where you can find all of our episodes, lots of cool information, our merchandise store, our Patreon page, some lovely artwork by our friend Zara, just all kinds of great stuff. Or, of course, you can tune in to just the episodes on your favorite podcast listening platform. That's right. If you also come need visit more, us, right? Right. <laughs> come see us. Um, come see God. us right now. Come over and visit me. Don't. Don't. Stay home, stay safe. <laughs> but stop by virtually on any of our social media platforms. What are our social media platforms? Well, we're on Facebook mm-hmm. at. CritterCast. Mm-hmm. We're on Instagram at CritterCast Podcast. Mm-hmm. We're on Twitter at Cast Critter. Mm-hmm. We're not on TikTok yet. You should get on that, Karina. Oh my God. I literally just put the animal shelter I work at on TikTok and I'm yeah. really bad at it. <laughs> and also one of my coworkers was like, ah, security. And I was like, who cares? There's nothing on, like, there's no private details on there. Like, it's fine. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, we're not on TikTok. We're not going to go down that road yet. But we are on YouTube. In case you ever want to watch some of our longer form videos, you can check us out just as CritterCast on YouTube. Yeah. Um, we hope that you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned on our social media over the next few weeks. More fun tidbats, tidbits, pictures, and all that fun stuff of Turbularia, as well as information about our featured pet, Melvin. And... If you want to have a say in what animal we talk about, if there's an animal that you've always wanted to hear more about or you'd love to hear our take on, let us know. Yep. You can shout out to us on social media or email us at CritterCastPodcast at gmail.com. That's right. It's so lovely. So lovely. We so appreciate you guys joining us. We love our CritterCast listeners. We know that you guys are absolutely wonderful people because... You think twice before sharing unfact-checked memes on Facebook. We do, yes. All the fun stuff. Thank, thank you, you for that. Just thank you. <laughs> That's going to be it for us here today at CritterCast. See you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. 
is the Critter Cast Podcast.